Ideas are everywhere. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing, the Phoenix Group Podcast. I'm your host, David Bellarive, and today we enter the often terrifying, often thrilling world of naming. My guest, fortunately, is an expert. His name is Jeremy Miller from a Canadian agency, Sticky Branding. And he is just releasing a new book, Brand New Name. Jeremy's a brand strategist, an author, thinker, and speaker. He wrote uh, Sticky Branding, a book you might have read, which uh, helps small to mid-sized companies do their brand, do branding. And he is here to help us navigate this terrifying world of naming. Hi, Jeremy. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, David, and I'm happy to help you solve that problem. <laughs> Before we dive in, tell me a little bit about yourself uh, and your background. Well, I uh, am uh, the president and founder of Sticky Branding, which is a, a brand building agency based out of uh, Toronto. And uh, what we do is we help uh, our clients, which are people and companies, grow their brands. And we do that through books, speaking, consulting services and tools, and and our vision and, and the way we approach things is just really how do we make these complex topics really accessible and understandable so that you can execute on them and grow your business and brand to the next level. And uh, that's, that's my world. Now, um, uh, one of the things I loved about Brand New Name, which is a new book, is it, is it even out yet or is it coming out this It'll- Sorry, this fall, October 8th. Oh, okay, wonderful. One of the things I love about it is that you're uh, really putting all the work back to the cust or the client, I guess, asking them to generate names and, and uh, develop the names themselves. So we'll get into that. But first, naming is so hard. <laughs> Have you uh, gone through so many uh, some naming projects in your practice? Yeah, yeah. And it is, uh, it's daunting, isn't it? It is, uh, especially if you don't have process. I've gone through this myself in my own businesses. I've been a serial entrepreneur, and I actually uh, got my first naming project when I joined my family business uh, way back uh, 15 odd years ago. And uh, my dad tasked me to rename the company. He said, there's too many Millers on the door. We need a new name. And it's got to have a .com, and it's got to have these criteria. And oh, by the way, your .com budget is uh, as much as GoDaddy, so 10 bucks. Make sure it's awesome. <laughs> and I'll tell you, that, that project took me at minimum of 250 hours to ideate, test, search, and dig, and dig, and dig, just to find that one name that we'd be proud of. Now, you must have done a whole bunch because now you've come up with a process and it seems uh, it really looks looks awesome. And I'm dying to put it into practice, but um, mm. you, you, you really must have been through this uh, a dozen or more, like a hundred times. Or... We have. And, and so I think necessity is the mother of all invention. That uh, a big thing that drives me in my work in terms of what, why I wrote Sticky Branding, my first book and this book and, and uh, many of our, our tools we create is it, you kind of come out of a product project and say, I wish I had that. And you go back and, and create it. And so Brand New Name came out of that kind of origin story of not only my own projects, but my client projects. And we kept asking, is there a better way? And there is, and that's what it is. The, the, the process itself is based on a model of employee co-creation, and we can come back to that. But the actual project takes anywhere from two to four weeks, and anyone can do it. It's structured. It's straightforward. And I think that's what we ultimately need when it comes to marketing branding, how to stop trying to figure it out and reinvent the wheel and actually have some good process to execute things efficiently. One of my great frustrations with naming is, uh, like, 
how do you know at the end that you've got something that's great? And what is the, what is the most common problem that people face when they're trying to name something? Finding something that's available. <laughs> I think that's really the issue we have right now yeah. is uh, we are in a naming drought. Uh, and this is a shocking this – is, this is really shocking, David, in the sense that in the United States, there are over 564,000 new businesses started every single month. Eesh. That's every month. So 564,000 new businesses are started every single month. And if you think about it, this is about 2% of the United States population that is launching a new business at any given time. And the same thing's happening in Canada. The same thing's happening in the UK. It's a, it's a pretty common statistic. But there's only a finite number of uh, domain names available, at least the dot-coms. Uh, there's only uh, a finite number of trademarks. And so the issue that we're actually experiencing is it's not really that hard to come up with a a good idea, it's hard to find a good idea that's available. Yeah. And that's really why process is so important is that you need to be able to have uh, some discipline so that you have enough options to test and select and get through the end so you're not in that perpetual state of frustration. And it's always been, or maybe it's changed, but it's, it, it's for a long time, it's been like you got to have the dot com, you got to have that name that you can put on a website. How important is that? I am advising my clients today that the domain name is less relevant than it was five years ago. Oh, how come? Uh, well, there's a few things for that. Number one, we are interacting with technology differently than we did. Think about it in your own behavior. Are you typing in a URL or are you typing in the company name when you go to a web browser? The same kind of thing is happening with voice search. We're now interacting with Siri and Alexa and Google Assistant. We are interacting much more as human beings now with technology. And so the, the URL only really is being visible on a business card or a marketing campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're online or on your phone, you probably don't even see the link. So, um, so a .com is potentially a perceived form of credibility. But the reality is it's probably expensive. Uh, if you want a really good name uh, that's four to eight characters long, chances are it's already taken. Yeah. And so if you're a small business uh, or even if you're a big business, do you really want to drop anywhere from $100,000 to a million dollars on a name or on a URL? Yeah. <laughs> well, can you? Or Yeah. And if you can, is it worth the ex – is it where you should put your priorities? Now, Tesla until a couple of years ago operated under teslamotors.com. They're now Tesla.com, but you wait till you're at a point of financial security to buy that kind of an asset. So my advice to, to clients is often get a great name and then put a descriptor on it or, or work with a non.com variant in order to get your, yourself moving versus spending a, a whack of money trying to buy that real estate from someone else. And there are so many different types of names. You outline uh, a bunch in brand new name, like descriptive names or acronyms and, and, um, or nonsense names. And uh, is there a better way to go about it or does it, does it matter? Is that part of your process to figure out which, which type of name you should be even trying to get? I don't think so. Uh, so my view of it is uh, there's no such thing as, a, as a, a bad name. There's only a bad strategy. So the question would come down to what do you need this name to do? If uh, everyone in your industry has an acronym, then probably choosing an acronym is not a wise idea because you're going to get lost in the evergreen forest and just be another green tree in the, amongst the midst. Yeah. Um, 
So what does it take to position your brand to win? What does it take to differentiate it, to connect with customers, to create that experience? That's going to give you a set of criteria. That's actually the first st stage of brand new name is you build a strategy. And once you know that, the benefit of understanding the varying types of names and the way names are constructed is it allows you to be more creative and get beyond what you know so that you can try different things out and see if you can find uh, a name that nobody else has created before. Mm -hmm. I always kind of personally default to descriptive names and probably because uh, clients never have, you know, I've never heard anyone say, oh, we've got lots of money to market this name. Um, and, and they're looking to have an impact very quickly. And maybe that's not always the default they should be going to, but um, descriptive names one thing you mentioned was uh, you become successful when when your name is the category, like if you Google it or FedEx it. Can you can you reverse engineer that? Like it's good. That, so on the name, no, uh, I think you could create a name that functions as a verb and has those kind of elements to it. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the examples that you you suggested there, like Kleenex or Google or Hoover or um, uh, what's another example here? Like even escalator. Like if you think of the name that becomes the category, the number one thing that happens is it's a purpose-driven brand. Like when a windbreaker jacket has a very distinct reason for existing. And so it is a purpose-led brand versus a conglomerate or a horizontal category of things. So it solves a problem and defines that category. And then the second part of it is it's the dominant brand. And, and so sometimes it has a first mover advantage. But David Ocker will often say that the first movers often get displaced with the people that have the money to scale the brand. And, uh, and I think that's really the reality we face is who is able to take that purpose and then become the dominant factor to redefine what the category is and their name as a result gets the gets the praise but it's it's not you, you, like there's lots of great examples of brilliant names that never go anywhere yeah yeah the um we'll often start with uh like a creative brief for our names but you have uh and you talked about it a little bit already the the uh, naming strategy which i really really like uh can you tell me a little bit about uh what that is and and how it works well, it is, it's a creative brief. That's, it's, it, we've, we've called it a naming strategy because it's a book of naming, but it's, uh, it is creating your guidelines for what this name will do and how it will perform. And I really believe the key to almost all marketing services or, or all marketing uh, should start with a concept that I call strategic clarity, which is being able to clearly articulate what it is you're doing and why it's doing and what kind of impact you want to achieve. And that requires understanding who your customers are. That requires understanding the competitive landscape and how it take, what it's going to take to stand out. And getting that down into common language so that anyone on your team can get it and understand it. And I find a lot of uh, organizations skip that step. And, and so as from an agency perspective, we end up trying to futz around and figure out how to make that, uh, that work for the client. But what we need in the creative brief or the design brief or the naming strategy, whatever you want to label it, is that common language so that people can be brilliant at creative. And if you skip that step, then you end up uh, going in all these strange tangents. But where it really haunts you is at the end of the project when you got to make decisions and you don't have anything to anchor yourself on. Yeah. 
yeah, nothing to look back and say, are we winning or are we losing with this name or this whatever? Yeah. Yeah. yeah not and, only and I used to deal with this. Sorry, go on. No, I was going to say not only skip it, but sometimes just not work hard enough at creating that. And I, that's what I loved about the naming strategy was it really outlined like not just here's seven questions to answer, but here's step by step how to put this together. Mm, yeah. And, and that's a big part of what I've been finding in terms of the process side of things is none of this is rocket science, but we do need structure. And if we can ask the questions in a deliberate, simple way and get it down into a common language, then we can move forward forward with this. And in the naming world, where this, where this is so important is at the end, because uh, what happens is we think we will know it when we see it. The problem is we're talking about an abstract set of characters, maybe four to ten characters that make up some kind of, of word that sounds like something that we then have to envision what it's going to look like in terms of a brand identity and, and how the product's going to work and how it's going to work in the world. And if we don't have that, that grounding, the reality is you're not going to know it when you see it. One of the one of the one of the challenges I think is that uh, like it's human nature to, uh, I guess, like things that we're familiar with. So if we see something that's similar to something we already know, we're going to go, oh, I like that. That name resonates with me because it's, and you don't know why, but maybe you just go, Oh, it's, you know, I've, I've, I like it. And part of it might be just because it's familiar to you. How do you overcome that? I think you have to, well, in the naming process, what we provide is a naming score, which is an analytical tool that allow you to score a name across seven dimensions. So positioning, clarity, how it fits in terms of the competitive differentiation and, and some other criteria. And by using an analytical score, you can start to see why you like some elements of a name versus another. Mm. But you're absolutely right. There is a halo effect that happens when you have essentially um, an exposure bias. And this is backed up by fascinating research from Adam Grant where he uh, looked at uh, the influence of large hurricanes on baby names. Ha! And what he did, and this is hilarious, is he they went and looked at Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Harvey, and, and going back uh, over 100 years. And what they found was after a major storm, the instances of names starting with the same letter increased. So after Harvey, you had an increase in names starting with H. Yeah. But the name Harvey plummet. So Hurricane <laughs> Katrina, so Katrina was a relatively common name for the prior 20 years and now parents obviously don't want to associate their child with death and carnage. No, yeah. Yeah, that's but fascinating. But the K piece goes up. So you have this you have an exposure bias. And so the the reason if you go back a little bit in, in our, our chat into why do, the, the understanding the naming types, so acronyms descriptive names, suggestive names, and abstract names is important, is that if you see everyone in your industry has a descriptive name or everyone in your industry has a uh, an acronym, you might gravitate towards that. And the problem with it is if after the process you were so you you create a, a say a cluster of all the logos in your industry and you look like everyone else, then you have to ask, did you succeed at your naming project? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have a neat, um, a, a really uh, simple and effective way to kind of figure out where where the market is with um, the the namescape that you put forward. How does that work, or how how easy is that to put together? Oh, it takes 
10 minutes. It's super fast. So all you, the first step you do is um, get a, a list of all the names of the competitors in your, your space. And then you plot them on a simple uh, grid that uh, is organized based on the, the types of names. So abstract, uh, suggestive, descriptive acronyms, and the construction of names from um, uh, how, how they are put together, whether they are invented words or compound words and, and so forth. And by organizing the names in a simple visual grid, you start to see clusters. You start to see naming trends. And from a strategy perspective, understanding what are the common conventions in your industry allows you to define some rules early on uh, so that you can avoid certain kinds of words or certain types of naming conventions. And do so you, we did this. Sorry, go on. Well, I was going to say, do you recommend we try to be similar or try to be completely different? I guess it will depend on what you're trying to do in your strategy. Mm. When I renamed my family's business, uh, we defined that we could not use the words recruiter, recruiting or staffing uh, as rules in our project. And the reason for that was most of the agencies had a, a descriptor of some kind. And so we came up with the word leap job. And uh, it was a play on leapfrog and it, and it worked and it was, it was that suggestive kind of fun and play. But by setting the rules that you should avoid certain conventions forces you down a specific creative path. Mm-hmm. I um I start the podcast all the time with the phrase ideas are everywhere cuz I think uh ideas are everywhere and and I was really intrigued by how you want to bring in staff to uh, get involved in this naming process. How why that and and what are the benefits there? Mm. So I believe inside every organization just is immense creative potential. And the problem is most employees are too busy doing their jobs or we don't believe we're creative. And so ultimately we look outside for ideas, especially when it comes to marketing, branding, naming, these types of things. We go to, uh, to external advisors to help us solve those problems. And I think that's a shame because everyone is creative. Everyone's born creative. And inside your organization is that huge pool of potential uh, the challenge, though, is we just need to harness that uh, both as leaders and, uh, and as advisors, but we also have to provide structure because sometimes people's creativity has atrophied. But if you can harness that, the advantage that you have is really twofold. Number one, nobody knows your business better than you. So when you are creating ideas, they're happening within context. So that accelerates the, the chances of getting to great ideas faster. The other key advantage is by incorporating your staff into the brand building process creates an opportunity for culture change because how often do we incorporate line staff, whether they're salespeople or, or customer service people or even people working in the warehouse to have a, a chance and an opportunity to work on key decisions like what do we call this product or what do we call this company? And by engaging everyone you have this immense opportunity to not only come up with a brilliant name, but also to really deliberately connect people to your brand and what you're growing and why that's important. And what kind of response have you seen from organizations when you when when they try this or when they work with their their staff to to name something? 
every time it's shockingly positive. Uh, there's a, sometimes there's a bit of skepticism at the beginning going, we don't have time. But the, in the naming process, the, what we do is we spread out the creative over five days and we ask everyone on the team to generate five good names a day for five days. That shouldn't take more than half an hour to an hour and a half. And so do you, and we ask the question, do you think you could set aside an hour over the course of the day to create five names? And everyone says yes. And so that gets us over the first obstacle. But what happens after the fact is just, there are these just brilliant uh, connections. Uh, I'll give you a specific example, that, and I, I share a little bit of it in the book. Is uh, Central Smith is a family business based in Peterborough, Ontario, just outside of Toronto, and they're a third-generation family business. And so they went through this process, and they engaged a team from distribution to sales to management to go through it. And what Jen Skates, who is one of the family members and the and senior vice president, said to me is, it created this culture shift where, in the it wasn't necessarily the first time, but a, a significant shift happened in the family business where the that glass ceiling between the family and everyone else kind of cracked. And she said people from the team and the organization started to challenge uh, Ian and her uh, on how they were running the business and some of the operations and the way they were doing things because they actually had exposure to the strategy. They actually had exposure to the brand and they they felt that ownership that they could have permission to not only contribute a name, but to contribute a suggestion to improve the business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. I always, um, I always try to find, uh, as many writers as I can when I'm working on naming projects, who would you look for in, in the employees or amongst the staff to, 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 I guess, tap on the shoulder and say, Hey, would you be involved in this? Short answer, everyone, (laughs) uh, uh, very, so uh, in so most have of the sprints like we as do as many as you could and hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. So the way the, the sprint works is, is you create a, a sprint team. This is anywhere from three to 10 people that all commit to the daily quotas and working the whole process from strategy to ideation to uh, testing and selection. And typically that includes the CEO or president or business owner, the, the decider, it often will hold a vice president of marketing or marketing manager who is the champion and project manager. And then uh, a group of people who are uh, bright, energetic, creative, and interested in going through this process. And who they are matters, is, is what their titles are, is less relevant than they are just committed to the process. So that's your sprint team. But it doesn't mean you have to stop there. So invite everyone else in the organization to contribute ideas. Uh, I'm going through a process right now with a client. They're a, a, a payment processing company that has a trademark issue as they enter the United States. So they need a new company name. And they have 45 employees. So their sprint team had 10 people on it. And then they extended the the naming contribution and naming exercises to the remaining 35 people. And at the end of five days, they generated 682 names. Wow. <laughs> Which is remarkable. It is remarkable, and I don't think the uh, the engagement part is is so incredible because whenever you can engage staff, they the response is generally, like you said, extremely positive, and it and it really helps get ownership into the whole whatever it is you're you're creating. 
Mm-hmm. And I also recommend you gamify and make it fun. So in the the, the sprint I just exp- uh, I mentioned, uh, everyone who in the company contributed a name got a five dollar uh, Starbucks gift card. So you had some incentives, and the business owner was hilarious. He'd wander around the office when people contributed names and give out the the cards and make a big thing of it. Um, and so people that motivated everyone. We had uh, almost a hundred percent contribution. The uh, the the other piece was the people who whose name made the top ten shortlist got a free vacation day. Wow, nice! So nice perks to get people involved. Yeah, absolutely. And then you're not um, your process doesn't really leave people hanging. You have some nice, uh, I guess, guidance that you provide them to to help them generate names. Mm-hmm. So we give you an exercise and inspiration and tools uh, so that you're not starting cold because I think that's the big challenge we have always is that um, there is process and there is like it goes back to what we started with. Uh, I wish I had that when I went through that project. And so every time we've named something, we've we've gone back and, and looked and done a diagnostic to say, what do we wish we had? And so brand new name is that culmination of all that methodology and process that we wish we had. And then over time, we've perfected it to get it to a point where anyone could execute it, like literally buy the book, and it tells you everything you need to do. Including, I guess the last step is uh, choosing and then testing that name. And again, you have some very simple and, and clever ways to vet that that process. Right. Yeah. And so, if you start with say 680 names, that is overwhelming. And so, what we we show you how to do is to call that list, how to look up and and quickly see if you have trademark problems. But most importantly, it's the name score, which is a weighted matrix to evaluate names and a set of market testing tools that anyone can use, such as the Helvetica test, uh, that allows you to validate which names fit the strategy, which names resonate the most with potential prospects, and which names have the highest recall. And... By just having discipline in looking at those options makes the uh, selection process manageable. Uh, Most people fail not on generating ideas, but in selecting ideas. And, And I think that's really a shame because you might have something that's brilliant and you just don't know how to get to it. Hmm. What are the, um, do you see common pitfalls people fall into in naming projects? Well, yeah, the uh, the biggest pitfall I see is looking for the negatives. And and everyone's got a reason to judge something and reject it, but take a name like Big Ass Fans. Uh, have you ever, so if you, you go into an industrial environment, you might see these 30-foot uh, long diameter fans that are that are moving a ton of air, and they're quiet and they're beautiful and they, they're really quite remarkable. But can you imagine the average company adding the word ass in their company name? <laughs> I love that name, yeah. It, it's it's a, it's a prow, powerful, evocative name. Or Banana Republic, which has a real twinge of racism when you think about it. Um, it but it's this evocative name. Um, the, so the challenge is if you focus too much on the faults, you can often lose something that's brilliant. Because usually it's the quirks that make a name interesting. 
Slack, the uh, the company uh, that makes the the chat uh, the communication platform, uh, it that would could be perceived as a platform for slackers. Uh, Google, the the misspelling of Google, uh, it could also be perceived as a negative. We should spell it properly, uh, but those quirks are actually what make those names so endearing. Yeah. What's um? Uh, it's maybe a stupid question since you've just written a book, <laughs> but what's the what? What would be the best advice you'd give somebody uh, who's embarking on a name, on a naming project? I think it's really two parts. Number one is really be clear on the strategy. Uh, what are you naming? Why is it important? What are your guidelines? The clearer you get with that in your mind, the more likely you will be successful at the end. The second suggestion I have is give yourself time. Usually, we are all approaching our naming projects in a panic, that it's a thing that we keep pushing off to the last second, then you realize, oh crap, the product launch is in 30 days and we still don't have a name. The, uh, the challenge, though, is when you are running on a deadline, you can face trademark issues, and government's not going to move fast because you want them to. The other issue is if you compromise the creative process or the testing process, then uh, you you will you might choose a name that you're not proud of or might have a problem with it and then have to go back and and rechange it. But I think naming is far too strategic to do this. A name is the longest living artifact of any brand. It will outlive the the product, the strategy, uh, the people itself. And so getting it right is essential. Now this doesn't mean you should take three or four months to name something, but at least two weeks to build your strategy, create your ideas, test it and select it would be a minimum. And an ideal is three to four weeks. Mm -hmm. Now, it used to be super important to uh, in the phone book days to have those uh, AAA names (laughs) or Acme to be at the top of the phone book. Are there things now that people are like, like, are there bad ideas now that are you you see a lot of that people are just, um, you know, wanting to, uh, have this name because of I don't know what. Yeah, there are these conventions, but I, I'm cautious to, to say that they are good or bad right now because what I think is so interesting about branding is the degree of innovation and creativity and the speed in which things are moving. That we have just remarkable brands being created by. Uh, young entrepreneurs that are are doing things that have and challenging convention very very quickly. The only thing I would suggest, and this isn't a guideline, but it's just kind of an overall suggestion, is focus on simplicity. We will tend as human beings to gravitate towards things we can understand in terms of spelling, uh, language, things that are clear and simple tend to perform well. Um, The other thing that I am a little cautious on right now is misspelled words. And the reason for that is the rise of voice assistants, Mm. that that we need to be able to communicate uh, with with sound more so than our fingers. And uh, and so a name should sound uh, and be distinct in the way you say it out loud. It's funny you say that because uh, I have a side business passion project, uh, dog photography, pet photography, and I called it Diggity Dog. And uh, I had no idea how many ways there were to spell Diggity until uh, afterwards when I find out people can't find it. (laughs) How did you spell it? Oh, D-I-G-G-E-T-Y. 
but uh, E-T-Y, okay. I would yeah. have thought it was I-T-Y. Yeah, and some people do single G, some people do double T. It's, uh, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I should have maybe have, paid a little more attention have, to that. Did you buy the variants of the uh, domain name? No, of course not. No. It's, it's the uh, cobbler's son. You know, I didn't do anything that I recommend all our clients do. <laughs> well, I think at the very least, it is a brilliant name, and uh, and it, it has a great phonetic quality on it. And I think the other side of it is not to get too hung up on it, because uh, once you've corrected someone, they will remember it. Um, and the other side of it is people aren't going to choose you for the name alone. The name is simply that label on a file folder. So when they think of Diggity Dog, they think of the beautiful shots that are being captured of their pets. And and the product is actually what infuses meaning into the, the name, not the other way around. Well, that brings up a great question because a lot of names, uh, and, and sort of we talked about a little bit with that, the bias of familiarity, but a lot of names will mean nothing until there is a product that people can associate with it. How do you, I guess, balance that with, you know, trying to find something distinctive, but getting people to appreciate that, the name might mean nothing to you now, but hopefully will imbue that meaning into it. Mm. I'm a, I think abstract names are fascinating, uh, and there's brilliant examples of them, everything ranging from Kodak and Kleenex to uh, Verizon and, um, uh, and, and, and others. Uh, Google's a, p- a potential on that too. So these names uh, are an opportunity for a brand to make it mean whatever they want. Now, the problem with that is uh, is really two parts. The first is um, is that it means nothing. So that means your marketing has to work a little bit harder to breathe life into it. So mm-hmm. you need to tell people what you are and repeat that message a lot more frequently for that name to seed and have meaning. But once you cross that hurdle, it's like the Kleenex example. It becomes known as the category. The um, And so there's that balancing act of do you want someone to have a quick understanding of what you are, uh, like big-ass fans or Netflix, or can you be a little bit more creative and create your own name like Verizon or Hulu and and uh, and let it uh, – and then you'll breathe life into it. So that's part of your strategy question. The, uh, the other part of an, an invented word is my suggestion, unless you're naming a pharmaceutical, is to focus on phonetic spelling. If you think of Verizon or Singular or, or these kind of names, they, they're based on Greek and Latin roots, and they actually take a lot more marketing to make the, the idea stick. Uh, for whatever reason, you can hear a drug name a thousand times and still not remember it. Mm-hmm. So whereas um, Hulu it has or Uber, they have those phonetic qualities that uh, that make them far more memorable. That's why Kodak, even though the the brand is is largely gone since its bankruptcy, uh, still has such high resonance. It's just a, a strong phonetic word with hard consonants and that that just stick in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, well, sadly, we're almost out of time, Jeremy. I really thank you for, uh, well, it was great to connect with you. And I uh, thank you for the book because it's super smart and actionable. Uh, any thank lessons, you. any final lessons for people uh, that you've learned uh, with your work through naming? Uh, 
my my final lesson on this is have fun with it. I think uh, a name is the most important business decision you'll ever make, and you should enjoy the process. And so my hope, at least if uh, you use my methodology or another one, is that you take this as an important business decision, enjoy the process, and find something you'll be truly proud of. Wonderful. So sadly, the book isn't available till October. How can people get in touch with you or connect with the brand new name, Sticky Branding, before then? Well, if you're interested in the book, I highly encourage you to uh, to pre-order it. It's available on Amazon and Indigo and wherever books are sold. And uh, we have a great campaign called Free Prize Inside. So if you buy a book, there's gifts that go with it. And so uh, you visit stickybranding.com. We can get there. But I'm happy to connect with you on all the social platforms. If you search Sticky Branding, you will find me and, uh, on LinkedIn and Instagram and everywhere else. And uh, I would love to chat anytime. Wonderful. Thanks again, Jeremy. It's great talking to you. Likewise. Thanks, David. And there it is, episode 95 of Lessons Learned in Marketing. Thank you so much for listening. We are part of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. Music by Six Degrees out of Calgary. Talk to you next week. 